Now we welcome uh, Rob Wilby to the, the platform. Um, Rob's Professor of Hydroclimatic Modelling at Loughborough University and uh, does lots of work on climate adaptation, which is largely about risk management and risk projection, of course. So. Okay, thank you very much. Um, as, you, have you just, as you've just mentioned, um, I've spent much of the last 25 years working at this uh, interface between climate variability and change and water management. And just as these two images highlight, uh, whether we're in Gloucester or Victoria, uh, the potential consequences of extreme weather and climate change for our infrastructure are evident to all, whether we're in the scientific community or members of the public. What I'd like to do this, uh, today is share some of the insights that I've gained through conversations, picking up on Peter's comment, long, long conversations that have taken place over years rather than sound bites with the uh, World Bank. And I'm going to point to some examples of how climate science and its use within a development context has evolved through time. So um, this is a picture I've shown in many uh, meetings before, but it kind of captures my mental framework of what climate science was about when I began research in this area so long ago. And it's essentially a scenario-led framework where the climate scientist spends lots of time populating the triangles, the gaps in this pyramid. And we might be thinking about how greenhouse gas emissions might change in the future, or how the regional climate could evolve, or what the local impacts could be, or indeed what the adaptation responses might be. And I suspect that this is a, a conceptual framework which is hardwired into many client, climate scientists whether or not we, we explicitly acknowledge it. But it takes us into this realm of the uncertainty narrative. We, we are, by populating this pyramid, going to generate increasing levels of uncertainty in the, in the outcomes. And um, here's a, a, an example of how this plays out in practice. We might be interested in how uh, the the olive crop in Tunisia might change in the, in the future. And the conventional approach is to throw lots of climate models at the olive model and figure out how the flowering date might change. And what we find from this is that the flowering date uh, becomes earlier in the year. Um, but there's also a huge amount of uncertainty shown by those green bands. But this can essentially collapse into a simple narrative that the staple crop is going to flower earlier. And so we need to think about the, the adaptation responses to that risk and the, the, the threat to livelihoods that it may pose. And, and as Peter's just mentioned, when we actually start to drill down to a decision-centric um, framework where we're looking at people's vulnerabilities, at 
local and regional levels, then the, the uncertainty bounds just um, inflate uh, hugely. And so we have to start thinking about alternative um, ways of dealing with that uncertainty and managing it in practical ways. What I've seen through my interactions with the World Bank since 2007 through a, a range of projects, mainly in uh, North Africa and the Middle East, is a, 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 a real sea change in the approach to the climate science and the treatment of risk and uncertainty. So the chart here shows that as an organization, um, adaptation is really taking off as, a, as an agenda. People are thinking hard about where the dollars should go and what the costs and benefits of different actions might be in the future. And at the, at the start of that process, if we go back just three or four years, a lot of the effort was being put into the production of portals or improving access to climate model information. It was very much about uh, disseminating the climate model information. So it's about the climate scientists giving away to this community what they're producing. Um, in practice, by having this longer conversation, you can actually begin to hear more about what it is, the, the, the particular information that's required for that dis decision making at the regional or project level. So in the conventional world, we might give away the climate risk information for uh, a river basin in Yemen and show that the uncertainty band is plus or minus a big number. And that poses a, a real difficulty to the, the water manager in that basin. Nonetheless, um, what, what happens as a consequence of that scenario-led approach is almost inevitably we default to what we call low-regret measures. So these are, broadly speaking, common-sense measures which are going to deliver um, health, societal, economic benefits now and in the future, regardless of climate change. And if we're thinking about water and land management in, in East Africa, in Djibouti, for example, what, we're, what that list uh, defaults to is essentially uh, good practice, things that if only we implemented everywhere, people's well-being would be much better, even in the face of current climate variability and change. Um, uh, another sort of low-regret strategy might be to improve baseline data or maps of ri risks and hazards. And here's uh, an example of some work that I'm, I'm currently under undertaking, again for Yemen, where we're trying to produce atlases of climate hazards. So the impacts on water harvesting potential, the consequences for flood risk, um, drought, and so forth. And this might seem like a, a really sort of trivial exercise, but believe me, um, when you're working in a data sparse area where the climate variability is huge, 
the regional climate change outlook is uncertain. This is a, an extraordinarily uh, complex technical challenge. And we, even when we can produce maps, we have to be very careful about how these maps are used, particularly if we're presenting changes in, in flood risk. So just simply putting the data out there, having developed it, co-produced it with the, the client is not enough. We, we have to also continue the discussion in terms of the appropriate usage, even of a map like this. But the really tricky questions are posed when people want to put dollars into to projects. So should, should the hydropower scheme go ahead? Should the road network be expanded or upgraded? Uh, how should the urban drainage system be redesigned? And this is um, uh, an example of a table that um, we were discussing with the, the World Bank um, over the course of about a, a, a year, really, where the initial expectation was, we're interested in these types of investment. Our um, hydrologists and water managers and engineers tell us these are the indices that we need. Can you attach a, uh, a certainty level to any of these products? So, for example, how certain can we be about a one in 10,000 year flood estimated from a climate model for the year 2050. Okay, now I mean that's a really extreme case, but this is the kind of um, level of understanding that we're having to, to work with. Some of these, maybe the temperature related elements or the sea level rise, we might feel more comfortable in saying, yes, we can, we can indicate within within boundaries. But the, the initial perception was that the climate modeling community can actually provide this sort of information. It's just about securing access to these, to these types of indices or figuring out which parts of the planet we can get those data for reliably and where we should avoid. So um, what I was asked to do was to review how climate model information had been um, applied within a sample of about 30 recent World Bank projects, which actually led to hard investment decisions. And what we learned was that the vast majority of those studies were indeed following that conceptual framework that they were scenario-led. They uh, inevitably concluded there's huge uncertainty and inevitably defaulted to uh, sets of low regret measures. There were, was very relatively little evidence of thinking in terms of the um, adaptively managed risks and other approaches that we are familiar within the community in terms of handling these, these uncertainties. So, what you actually now begin to see is a, um, a shift to perhaps a more pragmatic, uh, practical use of this climate model information. So rather than stuffing the climate scenarios into the top end of the pipe and seeing what drops out the other end, what we're actually seeing is 
frameworks which are decision-centric, as I think a previous speaker mentioned, focusing on the decisions, the portfolios of options that you have before you and testing them using the available climate risk information. So, in other words, the climate model information, the risk information, is, is being introduced into the process much later on than we might conventionally have uh, approached this. And so here in this example, if we're looking at drainage in Col Kolkata, we can see the benefits of um, a certain management practice here in the case of desilting, so not building bigger drains or extending the network, simply desilting the existing network and seeing the benefits that accrue under a range of climate change scenarios. So again, it's leading to a, to a, a more of a narrative outcome rather than um, a, a sort of a hard quantity to, uh, solution, although we can attach numbers to given scenarios. And of course, the um, precautionary principle figures very prominently as well. I mean, that's the, the the ultimate default position. If you can't be um, confident about the sea level rise in the future, then you essentially build in big safety margins. And as a nation, we're currently going through that, that exact process in terms of the design criteria for the next generation of nuclear power plants. What should the platform height be? How precautionary should we be? So these are examples of some of the practical ways in, in which decisions um, are handling the, the huge climate uncertainty which we are presenting to the, these communities. So just to, to conclude, I, I just um, wanted to say that when I began working, researching in this area uh, 25 years ago, um, of course, there was a, a temptation to explore these uncertainties and characterize them and to model them. And that's fine and good. That's entirely legitimate as a scientific, scientific endeavor. But in terms of resolving um, and uh, supporting actual decision-making, a, a more decision-centric uh, approach, I'm not sure that um, our science, as good as it is, is necessarily assisting um, some of the decisions that we're seeking to take. And I contrast that with um, the, the, the recommendations in a, a recent World Bank report which scrutinised the, the value, the utility of climate model information in, across their whole portfolio and what you see in these recommendations is really a, a very pragmatic, practical list where the, the bank and, um, and its associates are seeking to develop guidelines that can actually be employed within the context of best available science and to um, ensure that we have good case studies we can point to where we can show how that climate science, no matter how uncertain, has led to an informed and actual investment or development decision. Thank you very much.